God, we praise you. God, we give thanks for your word. We receive your word, we receive your grace. We pray, Lord, in this time of worship, that you, Spirit, would speak. That you would open up the eyes of our hearts, God, that all of us, as we reflect on these words that you've given us from your authoritative, inerrant word, you would speak powerfully. For those of us that are hurting and in pain, that you would speak with your gentle, lowly heart. We pray, Lord Jesus, that your name would be made great, that in only the ways that you can in this moment, God, that we would get on the edge of our seats, that we would open up our Bibles, and that we would have hearts that are ready to hear from you. We pray, Spirit of God, that you would illuminate these words. Pray, God, that you would put a filter over my mouth that this would be you speaking and none of my own agendas. Pray, God, with every breath in my body, that you give praise. We pray this together in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. This morning, we are talking about praise. In particular, I want to ask you to think about what it means to have what I would like to call a hallelujah habit. I've been thinking about these two words together as I've been reading Psalm 150 and reflecting on these two words. In particular, lately I've been reading a lot, hearing a lot, listening to a lot about the power of habit in life about how, how there's actually science, neuroscience, that says that our brains are uniquely designed that the habits that we have in life, the things that we do on a regular, moment-by-moment, rhythmic uh, basis, form us, train us. And this makes sense as we think about practice, as we think about our education, as we think about our diet. You see, the things that you do inform the way, things that you value. For example, I would love to say that I have a habit or a love of eating fruits and vegetables. But for some reason, I find myself in a different category of habit. I find myself with more chocolate and Dr. Pepper and Western bacon cheeseburgers. And I find myself oftentimes with this cognitive dissonance where I want to be like this. I want to be healthy, but then I am living like this. And I'm learning that my habits inform my desires and my love. And as you think about this, this week, I wonder what it's like to have what I would like to call a hallelujah habit. In this passage that we're looking at, it's a part of this five psalms that close the books, the Psalter, the hymn book of the saints, God's people, and they're surrounded by these words that say, praise the Lord. 
Psalm 150, verse one, opens up with this statement, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord is translated, or in Hebrew, Hallel Yah. Hallelujah. That is Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Hallelu is praise. Yah is short for Yahweh, the personal name of God. And so in, in, our, in our English scriptures, when we read in, the, in our translations, it says, praise the Lord. You could also just say, hallelujah. Oftentimes in my Bible, I'll write hallelujah. It's like I'm joining with all, the, all of God's people from age to age and declaring praise to the Lord. And what is so fascinating about this word hallelujah, what is so beautiful and paradoxical about this word is that, is that the, the Hebrew people that wrote this, it's saying to praise, and then when it says Yah, that is the personal name of God. It's this incredible, powerful name that oftentimes in tradition, we wouldn't even speak because of how big and mighty and powerful and wonderful and transcendent God is. And so when you see this word, praise the Lord, it's meant to be from a place of incredible reverence, fear, but also it's personal. And so when we see this, my question that I've been asking myself all week is how do I develop a hallelujah habit. How, how do we as a church, as, as a people, develop habits that declare praise the Lord in all these different aspects of our lives? Not just, which by the way, you did a really good job praising the Lord today, at least it seems like it verbally. But how, how, how does that inform the rest of my week? Do I live with a habit of praising the Lord? In this text, it seems to me that the author here, who's finishing up the Psalter, is calling you and I to a habit of hallelujah. You see, this, this, this is 150 chapters of Psalms. This is a special book of the Bible that is full of, of, of poems and, and prayers and laments and and, and, and just cries out to God of praise and thanksgiving and grief. It's, it, it's, it's a book in the, in the Bible that has been used for thousands of years for God's people to express their emotions to God. And it was written as, 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 as a bit of a psalter for the exiles who had been found themselves away from their home and in exile, and they would read this Psalter and it would remind them of who God is and, and what he does. And it's a call for us, no matter the circumstance, to have this hallelujah habit. And in this Psalm, as the Psalter is finishing, it tells us a little bit about this idea of having a hallelujah habit. It tells us the where, it tells us the why, it tells us the how, and, the, and it tells us who. First, the where. Look at verse one here. As you think about a hallelujah habit, how, where do we praise the Lord? It says, 
Praise the Lord, exclamation point. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Now what does it mean here when it says sanctuary? Does that mean that we should only praise the Lord like in this space when we go to church? Does it mean you only praise him in this context in the temple? Here, the, the writer here, we must remember this was written in a, by a particular people in a particular time, in a particular culture. And the writer here is talking about the very presence of God. The translation for the sanctuary could be translated the very place of God. It's this call to the imminence and the transcendence of God probably for the exiled people be thinking of a tabernacle a special tent that represented his very presence and and is saying that, that in, in in other words it's this call to God's people to have this awareness to the majesty and the power and the glory and the holiness of God as we praise him what is praise to give praise we do appraisal to give glory to give to declare worth to God, it's important that we know the object is do our praise. And so it's, it's related to, when we talk about where, it also relates to this posture of our hearts of saying, I'm coming in to the holy, transcendent God. And not just, it also says, in the heavens. In his mighty heavens, it's this call to how the stars and the angels are joining us in praising God. It reminds me of there's this interaction in Exodus of a guy named Moses. And it says that Moses is walking around and he sees a burning bush. And he comes to the burning bush and Yahweh shows up and declares, reveals himself to Moses. And he says, Moses, take off your sandals for this place is holy. I wonder about this as I praise the Lord if I have this same posture in my heart. If I think about the purity and the power of who God is and if I come to him with this posture of awe and reverence and respect and honor. And we see this here. As you and I are being called into praise, we're being called to have this reverence. And I think one of the ways that we miss this in our day and age is oftentimes that we think that our praise is meant to be like bottom up. Like we come to church and we lift up our praise and we pray that like God will hear from way up in heaven our praise. If it sounds good, our hearts are good. But what is interesting to me is the biblical narrative, the biblical story of worship is actually about top-down worship. It's about God who comes, condescends to us. Think about this in a tabernacle. His very presence in us and our worship is more about him being the object and the subject of our worship. I love what Pastor Doug said earlier as he's thinking about how we sing and thinking about worship. He talked about how when we, oftentimes we mistakenly say that we invite the Lord into it. But a better way to say what worship is is it's the Lord inviting us into worship. He's the one that is moving and that is working in our worship, in our praise. 
been reading this book called You Are What You Love. It says this, historic Christian worship is rooted in the conviction that God is the primary actor or agent in the worship encounter. Worship works from the top down, you might say. In worship, we don't just come to show God our devotion and give him our praise. We are called to worship because in this encounter, God remakes and molds us top down. Worship is the arena in which God recalibrates our hearts, reforms our desires, rehabituates our loves. Worship isn't just something we do. It is where God does something to us. Worship is the heart of discipleship because it is the gymnasium in which God retrains our hearts. As you and I think about our praise, as you think about our worship, perhaps there needs to be a bit of a flip upside down of our perspective. Even as I worship and I declare my praise to God of recognizing that he is inviting me into worship and there's no better place for me to be. God doesn't need me to invite him into my worship. That's very Western of me and very prideful and egotistical of me. And so we see this call for you and I and we think about where it has to do with the very transcendent presence of God. More on that later. Next question is why? Why give God the praise? Why should we give God the praise? This one's pretty straightforward, right? It says, praise him for his mighty deeds, praise him according to his excellent greatness. This is the why. His mighty deeds, you can just, it's, it's praise him for what he does. In this, in this Psalter, the people are probably looking back at the story of Exodus, looking back at moments when God saved them from oppression, saved them from bondage, saved them from themselves. Time and time again, when you see the holy, gracious, and merciful God, full of compassion, caring for his children and saving them. Why do we praise God? Because he saves us. But it's not just about what he does. It's about who he is. Notice here, you see the, the psalmist saying, praise him for his excellent greatness. It's like, praise him for his great greatness. It's like God is so big, I'm just gonna keep saying that word, and I need more and more uh, uh, synonyms to explain how big and mighty God is. It's, 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 it's an illusion or a, a hyperlink back into Genesis when we think about our very creation. When we think about that in the beginning everything was formless and God spoke in to creation everything and it was just his very breath. That's all that was needed and, and with his very word he spoke into existence everything and then my life, my very life is the very breath of God. That when God created mankind, he created us in his image. And from the dust it says that he breathed his life into us. So why? We praise God, we give him the worship because of what he does and who he is. Maybe the next question you would say is how? 
This is the question we love to talk about in church. How? What are the ways to praise God, right? And we have all sorts of different opinions, and this is not a sermon about that. What I love here, it seems to me that the psalmist is saying, with whatever you got. Seems to me that the psalmist here is saying, however you can, the method is not more important than the message. The Lord is looking at the heart of his people. And it's not so much, it's, it's not about a performance, it's not about, it's, it's not even about an expression. It's about participation. Look at what he says here in verse three. As we ask the question, how? He says, let them, oh, that's 49. 150 says, praise him with trumpet sound. Praise him with lute and harp. Praise him with the tambourine and dance. Praise him with strings and pipe. Praise him with sounding cymbals. Praise him with loud clashing cymbals. Now, as we read this, it can be easy to say, oh yeah, this is talking about a certain style of worship that I like. It seems to me here that God is calling you to praise him with whatever you have in all the different ways. I love all the different instruments and all the different ways that, that he's alluding to the people of God praising him. Tremper Longman, a commentary, in the commentary says this, he says, until now, there's been all sorts of these, he talks about there's, there's these psalmists and he's getting after how there's the Levites that are praising God, there's the priests, and then there's also these other instruments that, that are meant to be used by the people. And it seems to me here is, as, as we're called to praise the Lord, as we're called to offer up our hallelujahs, it's just a call for everyone to participate in some way. Everyone to participate in some way. And then the who. We see the where, we see the why, we have the how, but who should praise God? Who is God calling to praise him? It says this, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Do you see the significance of this statement? It doesn't say, let everyone who has a good voice praise the Lord. Thanks be to God. It doesn't say, let everyone who has things all figured out praise the Lord. Thanks be to God. It doesn't say, let everyone who is absolutely perfect in every way praise the Lord. It says, let everyone who has breath praise the Lord. And I love what is happening here. Once again, it's, it's including everyone. It says, until now, the psalmist has called the, for praise using musical instruments, but he concludes with the most important instrument of all, the human voice. 
There's this invitation in praise to declare, to speak verbally and articulate who God is and his power. And I would encourage you not to miss this call, my dear friend. And as we think about this call, we recognize that, that yes, God is calling you and me in to this sacred, transcendent, beautiful paradox of being in his presence. And he's calling you and me to praise him. And he's saying, with anyone that can breathe should be invited into this. But the problem that I find oftentimes is my problem with reading this and understanding this is sometimes, oftentimes, I don't feel like it. Sometimes, oftentimes, I don't have the habit of the hallelujah. And some of the formative habits that are in me need to be corrected. And the problem is, as we read this and we recognize that there's this call into the very presence and the sanctuary of God, I don't know about you, but I feel a little tension because there's this three-letter word that's kind of getting in the way called sin. And there's this fall that we know that happened with Adam, and, and ever since then, we have sinned against God, and we find ourselves, yes, there's this call to praise him with every breath that I have, yet I don't know if I'm allowed to. I don't know if I can be in the sanctuary because I'm a sinner, because I struggle. And we feel this tension. For one, maybe we don't feel welcomed or worthy, or two, we don't feel that desire to praise him. And this is probably a tension that the people of God felt. As the Israelites read this psalm, as they think about all the ways that God has been faithful to them and they time and time again they let him down, you see this call for help. You see this call for saving. You see this longing for something. And the problem, it seems to me, is as we think about hallelujah, as you think about hallelujah, the problem is a hallelujah is that the praise can be about me. See, the problem is not a Yahweh problem. It's a you problem. The problem is not a Yahweh problem. It's a you problem. He has not changed. We are told in Scripture he is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. As we think about this tension of wanting to praise him and give him our hallelujahs, the problem is in my heart. The problem is with my ego and my sin and my selfishness and my pride. There's this tension and this longing and in Psalm 24 it gets after this, it says, who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? Who shall stand in his holy place? Holy place, that's the same language for his sanctuary that we read about in 150. It says this, he who has clean hands and a pure heart who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully, he will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those 
who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. Selah. Whenever you see that word Selah, that means stop and think about that. Also a bit of a mic drop. So we feel this tension. We feel this tension as we read this and as we think this and we wonder, Lord, I want to have a hallelujah habit, but I have a hallelujah habit. Maybe a better way of saying I have a hallelujah me habit. How do you help me with this? As I read that in Psalm 24, it does something. The beautiful gospel is here too. There's this incredible gospel in this. See, the problem is not a Yahweh problem, it's a you problem. But the beauty of the gospel is that the solution is not in you. It's Jesus. Yahweh is salvation. The solution is not in you. It's not you trying to do better. It's not you saying, Lord, I'm going to take, I'm going to try this again, and this time I'm going to be good enough, and I'm going to enter into your gates with thanksgiving, and, and it's, it's about all that I do. No, it's Jesus. He is the way in. He is our salvation. He is the one who ascends the hill and dies on a cross for you and me. He is the one with the clean hands. He is the one that this generation must seek. Psalm 24, 7 continues. It says, lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord. You see the Lord, Yahweh, strong and mighty. The Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your head, O gates. Lift them up, O ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is the king of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the king of glory. Selah. The very name Jesus, Yeshua, that name means Yahweh is my salvation. His very name is salvation. Is a call for you and I to believe that in his grace and his glory. And it seems to me as we think about this and we reflect on this, Our, we have a response to this. And the response is a hallelujah habit. It's something that God does in us. It's a response that the, that the, that the psalmist here responds at the very end of, of 150. It says, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Praise Yahweh. And we can speak that because of Jesus. You and I are invited in, as, as Mike said in the Gospel Welcome, we are, we are able to receive each other because of his work and his grace. We can sing this song of praise because of Jesus. We can sing it with confidence. We can sing it with tears. We can sing it with thanks, thanksgiving. We can sing it with questions. 
you can sing it. So as I've been thinking about this, for me, and hopefully for you too, I've been asking myself, what habits hinder hallelujah? What habits in our lives could hinder our hallelujah? I know for me, I oftentimes get so busy and so full of life that I miss the chance just to sit back and say, hallelujah. I had this happen just last Friday. I got to take my daughter, Selah, to therapy. I hadn't taken her for probably five years, maybe. And the last time I had taken her, we had just started the process of learning how to walk. And this time I had taken her, and she's walking, and she's um, doing frog jumps, and we're talking, and, and she's and she's not shy, she has this relationship. And I remember just sitting there like watching and kind of having like this moment back. And I got to be a hallelujah moment. And I think if I hadn't been thinking about this sermon, I probably would have missed that. And I wonder how many hallelujah moments you may be having every single day every single moment. You may be having a hallelujah moment right now that you get to sit next to your loved one and hold her hand. You may be having a hallelujah moment right now that you're with family and friends. You may have a hallelujah moment with the work that you do. You may have a hallelujah moment, and this is the crazy thing for believers, in suffering, in pain, So I've been asking myself, what habits hinder hallelujahs? And for me, it's busyness. It's my phone. It's my television. And perhaps there are some things that you or I need to evaluate and examine to say, how can I have an attitude of hallelujah? It seems to me that the more that we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, the more that as we sang together, turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full at his wonderful face, and the things of this world will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. The more that we do this, the more that this hallelujah habit will flow in us. But I want you to hear this. It's not just about saying no to the things that are distracting me from hallelujah. It's also how can you develop a hallelujah habit. It's the habits. It's the times of devotion. Yahweh is a personal name that we are called to cry out to God. When you say hallelujah, is that, is that speaking to your personal God who saved you? Is there a habit of devotion? Is there a habit of, of reading his word and asking him by his spirit to speak into you, to give you the grace that you need today? Is there a habit of saying, great is thy faithfulness, God, morning by morning, new mercies I see? Is there a habit of prayer? Is there a habit of coming to church on a regular basis and being with God's people and singing to him? Or maybe I have other habits that are getting in the way 
You see, the things that we do, the rhythms, the liturgies that we have in our life, they inform the things that we love. I think we're all here because we say, I want to be someone who is just displaying the love of Christ. I love Jesus. I would just challenge you today. Let's pray and think about how we can develop hallelujah habits. And that doesn't just mean saying, all right, God, I'm gonna do my best. See you next week. Or the next time I feel like coming. has to do the moment by moment habit. The way that you're gonna start your morning tomorrow. The way that you're gonna pray over your meal at lunch. The conversation that you're gonna have with your friend. I wanna be a people, I wanna be a father and a husband where hallelujah is not a weird word was a part of our creed. And I encourage you, think with me about this today. As you think about worship, as you think about this conclusion to Psalm 150 and the call for you, notice it's not a, in the language in Psalm 150 is not a recommendation. It's an imperative, and it's the best place to be. And I don't know what's happening in your life today. But I believe that God is inviting you to worship. I believe that the Lord is inviting you to speak his praise. One powerful way you can do that is to actually sing it. I was thinking about that as we were singing together, thinking about all of our families, thinking about all of you, and just thinking about how powerful it is for a young boy to look up at his daddy and to see him singing of a great God. For a young girl to look up at her mommy, to see her singing, her grandparents. I pray that we are a place and a people that are not afraid to declare hallelujah. Turn to the person next to you and say hallelujah. Turn to the other person and say, hallelujah. I'm going to close in prayer, and then we're going to sing this song. The song says something like this. It's your breath in our lungs, so we pour out our praise, we pour out our praise. I encourage you, no matter how horrible your voice is, Pour out your praise.
Pray with me. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. We praise God in his sanctuary. We praise him in his mighty heavens. We praise him for his mighty deeds and particularly saving a wretch like me. We praise you, Yahweh, according to your excellent greatness, your grace upon grace, your majesty, your power, your wonder, your smile, your powerful presence in this place, heaven down to earth. We praise you for your greatness. We praise you with trumpet sound. We praise you with lute and harp. We praise you with tambourine and dance. We praise you with strings and pipe. We praise you with sounding cymbals. We praise you with loud clashing cymbals. We praise you, Yahweh, with everything that we have. And we praise you with every breath that we breathe, and we pray, Spirit of God, that you would continue to inhabit these praises and that every breath, not just the breath happening in this space, but the breath that happen all week, that you would send us out, and with every breath we pray that you would build in us a hallelujah habit. We pray, God, that you would remind us that in this psalm, Lord, there's a where, there's a what, there's a how, there's a who, but there's no when. Because the when is always. So we pray, Father God. We pray, God, that your grace and your mercy would be so palpable in this moment. We pray, Jesus Christ, that your very presence, your gentle and lowly heart, inviting us in, saying, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. We pray, Spirit of God, the great encourager, the great comforter, the great counselor, we pray to our triune God that you, in all of your majesty, in all of your glory, that you, God, would continue to form and work and change us. And we pray, Lord, that as we offer up our praise, God, that we would continue to be bold, to be confident, to approach your throne humbly, in awe and reverence and full of love, as a child running into his father's arms. So receive our praise, Father. We know that you invite us in. And so I just declare, Lord, right now, we're stepping in. And we're praising you. Hallelujah.